The Blue Gold Report. Irish reporters Todd Burlidge and Mason Plummer get ready for Notre Dame football game day Saturdays only on 1380 The Fan. Welcome to the Blue Gold Report. We have a football game to talk about after a lot of time off, 20 days to be exact. We'll have to get into some COVID-19 stuff here. Of course, we're all kind of tired of it, but it is still a top storyline that we're going to have to get into. 20 days off between games has created some interesting problems and challenges for Brian Kelly, Mason Plummer, my co-host, and a staff writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated and blueandgold.com. He's going to join me to talk a little about some recruiting news. Not a huge week for recruiting, but a little bit of news out there. And we'll obviously take a look at Florida State. I'm Todd Burlidge. I am your other co-host. I am a contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated. Mason, introduce yourself, man. Yeah, thanks, Todd. Yeah, I'm the recruiting analyst and staff writer over at Blue and Gold Illustrated. This week's been a little bit slower as compared to last week with the two commitments. Things are going to pick up here again soon on the recruiting front. I'm actually leaving heading down south to watch a couple games tonight, Todd. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to bring a third member of the BGI team into this, Patrick Engel, the beat writer for Notre Dame football and men's basketball. He's going to join us as well. He's going to talk some COVID with me, sort of the protocols that Brian Kelly has put into place moving forward. It's pretty interesting stuff, I think. We'll talk about all that, but as we start every show... Gold Rush. Your injury report looks pretty good for Notre Dame, although a couple player losses that Brian Kelly mentioned on Thursday. Sophomore linebacker Jack Kaiser, he'll be unavailable. He actually played against South Florida in place of Marist, Leofau, and Shane Simon at that Buck linebacker spot. Those two are back. Kaiser is out. Also unavailable is defensive tackle Myron Tagoveloa Amosa. Those are the guys that are out in junior wide receiver Kevin Austin. He will be limited, probably 15-20 snaps, Brian Kelly said. This will be his first game back since Clemson in the playoff game, 12-29 of 18. Also, another wide receiver, grad student Ben Skoranek. He'll be back after recovering from hamstring. And sophomore safety Kyle Hamilton will draw the start after recovering from an ankle sprain. I was looking into some pro football-focused numbers, and since 2016, Notre Dame has the highest-ranked offensive line this season, ranked as 96.8 out of 100 over five points higher than 2018 Wisconsin. This led a pro football focus analyst to say this this current Notre Dame offensive line might be the best he's ever seen at the college level. I'm going to spin off that. It's funny you said that we didn't compare notes beforehand, but pro football focus for this season has Notre Dame ranked as a 96.9, which is easily tops in the country. Georgia grades out as 80.9, 80.9. They're number two. You see the gap there. Clemson number three at 76.1. Speaking of Clemson, only Clemson has a longer home winning streak than Notre Dame's 20 games, which is tied with Ohio State and UAB. The Clemson Tigers have won 24 straight at home. The Irish have also the second longest winning streak in college football at eight games, trailing Air Force, who has nine. Notre Dame Stadium legend Sergeant Tim McCarthy. We all remember him. Anybody that's been to a Notre Dame game, he came on between the third and fourth quarter to give you sort of those goofy drive-safely-home messages. He died this week at the age of 89. He was on the job at the stadium for 55 years. Thursday night football, a couple Notre Dame Irish debuts. Alex Barr, former offensive lineman, got some playing time for the Bears, as well as Cole Komet, who made a catch for the Bears. Gold Rush. All right, let's dive into our segment of COVID here first, Mason. I'm going to go through the nuts and bolts, and then I'll have Patrick kind of break down a little bit more of what's going on inside the locker room. Obviously, things really spiked after the South Florida game. 39 cases. That was 25 positives and 14 quarantines because of contact tracing. They've been able to bring that down. That was so bad that of the 41 total campus positives, 
The football team had 25 of them, 61%. Brian Kelly was asked a lot about what spawned it. He said team meals, maybe guys playing video games together without a mask, perhaps riding in a vehicle. One of the things he did mention, though, Mason, that I found pretty interesting is in-game celebrations during the 52-0 win over South Florida. Just guys getting together, hugging, celebrating after big plays. And when it's 52-0, there's plenty to celebrate. Um, But he said that was potentially another problem. Mason, when you get this long list of potential spreading problems, it just goes to show you just how difficult it is for the coaches to keep this stuff under control. Absolutely. It's just, it's everyday things that you don't think about, such as like celebrating in the end zone. You're going to high five the guy when he makes a good play. And now that's being uh, put under the microscope. So you just got to take every single precaution here if they want to have a season. We saw the huge jump in cases this past couple weeks and that can't happen again. So Notre Dame's on the thin ice at the moment. You got to be extra careful. I think they already are, but you just got to take every single precaution possible at this point. Yeah, and then some because there really is not much room for error when it comes to having any more games postponed. So, well, here's Brian Kelly talking a little bit about the challenges that he faces through all this. You put in place procedures and protocols for the day-to-day operations and um, some of the things that you can't see happening are uh, victories. Um, And what I mean by that is uh, when guys are excited and and, um, good things happen, guys want to celebrate. A celebration in the game probably cost us four or five guys. There was there, there was that opportunity, guys. You know, <laughs> when they want to sing the fight song, you know, it's hard to keep their mask up. And and I'm just giving you just just a, a a glimpse of the little things that that are between the lines when you're writing up procedures and protocols. You, you don't think about it's so hard to win, and then when you do win, the first thing out of my mouth is, "Hey, stop celebrating. Put your mask on. You have to do that." That's probably what we're all learning is that it's so hard, uh, given the circumstances that we're in, that we have to be on top of every little thing, uh, regardless of the circumstances. And on top of that, Mason, you have the university president, Father Jenkins, goes to a White House event and ends up testing positive after mingling maskless. So it can hit anybody. I know Father Jenkins probably felt a little bit embarrassed about it, especially since in July, he warned students that non-compliance with the viral spreading precautions could lead to expulsion from school. And now he had put up an apology letter. That's just kind of a tough scene for him. I mean, you got to follow the rules and he didn't follow the rules. He established himself. So uh, karma's a real thing. I believe in that. <laughs> so uh, that's unfortunate there, but hopefully he comes back uh, fully healthy and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, certainly we, we wish him well. There's no doubt about that. There is a petition, though, on campus that are just calling for his resignation. I don't think it'll go anywhere, uh, but lesson learned for sure. So let's go ahead and bring in Patrick Angle, and he can give us a little more insight on what's going on inside the locker room. And so we're joined by Patrick Angle, beat writer for blueandgold.com, Blue and Gold Illustrated. Recent hire, this is his first year on the beat writing job. I'm sure Patrick did not expect to be putting most of his efforts into COVID talk. Uh, but here we go again. How are you, Dave? Doing good, Ty. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem at all. Let's dive right in here. The COVID news obviously leads the day about every single day. I think it's 45 total positives now through the course of all this since June, I believe it was. What's the latest now? It looks like that sort of outbreak, they have that under control. Kind of give me the lay of the land right now. Well, they're... It looks like they're going to play, which is progress and, and certainly not guaranteed in, in any week like we've seen with 
postponements across the country and the, every single week since the college football season started. The latest numbers that they've given us uh, as of Monday, two positive tests from testing the week before, uh, 11 players as of Monday who were in COVID protocols, either in isolation due to a positive or quarantine through contact tracing. We don't know when all of those 11 went into the protocol, so okay. it wouldn't be a thing we guarantee. Like, all right, we know they're without 11. Could be fewer, could be more, depending on what's happened in the last couple of days with recent rounds of testing. It's down from the peak where there were 39 guys. That's about a third of the roster. Yeah, about a third of the roster right. uh, out in COVID protocols. Found something interesting that Brian Kelly talked about on Thursday and sort of his locker room setup, I guess really the whole team setup, mixing and matching the guys that have had COVID and are recovered from it. Those are the guys that are sitting next to the guys that don't, that haven't shown any signs of COVID at this point. It makes sense. You know, they're not going to be contagious anymore. Kind of expand on what Brian Kelly's strategy is all about. Yeah, I don't think that he ever, uh, you know, wanted to to get to that point but it's it's a bad situation everybody's dealing with you may as well try to make the the, the best of it for lack of a better term right right <laughs> uh, now that you're in this position put more space in between players who haven't been caught up in the situations by putting those who have at lockers next to them or <laughs> or things like that dealing with like a residual effect of a residual effect of a residual effect <laughs> Who would have thought we'd be talking about this and all the things the coaches are having, having to go through here kind of on the herd immunity end of things as the cases climb at Notre Dame and there's fewer guys that, that could be sidelined. So maybe the worst is behind and we'll have to wait and see on that. But I couldn't help but wonder, teams like Clemson and so many others around the country, LSU, when they returned to campus, their numbers were sky high within their football programs, alarmingly so. Meanwhile, Notre Dame had theirs under control. Now I'm starting to wonder a little bit, perhaps those programs are better off just getting it out of the way in the preseason. Maybe they are, but if I were Notre Dame, I wouldn't have any regrets over what happened in the preseason and, and really, really what didn't happen because they barely had any cases. I don't think you can have any shame or any uh, thinking that you did it the wrong way in trying to keep this thing away. Uh for the entirety of the season, entirety of the preseason, whatever. Obviously, some things went wrong. Uh, there were some loose ends and lo just general looseness is, is what Brian Kelly and trainer Rob Hunt uh, described it as, looseness with, with enforcing mask-wearing uh, policies. Uh, they determined some of the spread of this came at a team meal before the game against South Florida. Uh, obviously, tweaking pregame meal uh, protocols were a thing that they did. Uh, they moved those to a the con bigger convention center to put more space in between guys. And obviously, meals, you're you're not going to have a mask on or anything like that. Right. So uh, maybe, I mean, I think it's fair to say, oh, well, you could have seen that coming. Uh, if spreading in a pregame meal, especially because all their meals in the summer and whatnot were all grab and go, mm -hmm. not in a big room. Yeah, I, I don't think Notre Dame should have any regret over the strategy it shows, and, and that's or in the thing it tried to do. And that's, we want to prevent this as, as best as we possibly can. Yeah, fair enough, Patrick. Can't argue with you there. We're talking to Patrick Engel, beat writer, blueandgold.com, Blue and Gold Illustrated. Patrick, tell them where they can find you and what you're up to next. Yeah, you guys are going to follow me on Twitter at Patrick Engel underscore uh, at blueandgold.com today. Uh, you can find my story on 
Uh, Ian Book threw 25 starts. Man, he's the first Notre Dame quarterback to hit that mark since his current offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese. So kind of dove in, took a deep dive on you know, what he's done, what really has, has happened since he got the job at Wake Forest two years ago and and what might be next, what Notre Dame might want and need from him next. So, yeah, you can check that out at uh, blueandgold.com. Definitely will. Patrick, I appreciate your time very much, sir, and we'll be chatting soon, obviously. Mason, so now we have uncharted waters here for Brian Kelly. 20 days off in between games. Played two games, then had two weeks off, which is interesting. It's never happened to Brian Kelly before. I don't know if it's happened to many football coaches before this season. It did happen one other time in Notre Dame during the Spanish flu. That's the only other time. I think it was 1918 that they took two weeks off during the season. On top of that, Brian Kelly's entire program was shut down for nine full days. So he has a lot to sort through, and he's trying to figure out the best way to go about it. What he started with is he actually had an in-season scrimmage this past Sunday which is pretty interesting because you don't see coaches do stuff like that very often in in-season scrimmage. That's kind of reserved for your training camps and that type of thing. But he felt like he had to shake the rust off, get some tackling in, get some speed of the game work in with that kind of time off. I think it was a good idea, Mason. A little risky, but still a good idea. Yeah, I think it makes sense. You, it's hard to get back into full football form after taking two weeks off. I think you know during those first two games, you're already shaking the rust off and trying to get to 100% to where you're really feeling good and in the flow of things, and then you're off two weeks again. So I think, yeah, like you said, the scrimmage is a little bit risky. I agree. Uh, definitely some cause for injury there potentially, but uh, that's something you got to do. Not, you can't just walk into a game cold and start tackling like you would in midseason form. So I think ultimately is a good thing, and we haven't seen anything crazy on the injury report, so it seems like it worked out. No, they did keep Kyle Hamilton out of that scrimmage for obvious reasons. Didn't want to put him in any kind of jeopardy. But, yeah, when you're talking about 20 full days off, nine of them with the program completely on lockdown. It is a lot to sort through, and it probably provided Brian Kelly and his staff a lot of answers about where these guys were physically as individual players. Actually, here's Brian Kelly talking about what he wanted to get out of the scrimmage and what he feels like he did get out of the scrimmage. From a scrimmage standpoint, you know, we wanted to get the speed uh, that you can't duplicate in just a, a scout team preparation. Uh, and, and certainly being off for a couple of weeks, you've, you've got to try to bring that speed. And our defense is, is a good group to go against. You know, they bring a lot of speed to uh, the equation relative to preparation. So it was important for us, you know, on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, to, to go against each other. Look, I'm no expert on preparing a football team after two weeks off, after playing two games. It's the first time that I've done it. But um, I think I have enough sense to know that you have to duplicate, you know, the speed of the game. You've got to tackle. You've got to be able to do some of those things leading up in your preparation. And technique, get some of the rust off from that perspective. You know, in terms of who's available, you know, we feel like, you know, we'll continue to test during the week. So the roster is, is a fluid situation. Well, we'll see if it pays off. I was worried about a sluggish start against Florida State. I still am a little bit with all that downtime, but maybe this scrimmage will help a little bit. By the numbers. 45. 45 is now at least a total positive COVID cases that the Notre Dame football team has suffered through. Almost half of the roster. 11. 11 straight wins over ACC opponents in the regular season for Notre Dame. That dates back to the 2017 41-8 thumping at Miami. 
Okay, Mason, let's get to your wheelhouse here, recruiting time. Like we said at the top of the show, no commits this week. But there's always news on the recruiting front. I think what jumped out at me is six foot two, 205 linebacker Prince Colley, Jonesboro, Tennessee. He continues to earn some postseason invites to some pretty special places. Tell us more. That's right. Prince Colley accepted his invitation to the U.S. Army All-American Bowl. Uh, he committed to Notre Dame on August 7th, so he's been a commit for a while now. Joining Blake Fisher and Deion Colsey in that game, I expect a few more Irish targets or commitments to be joining them in that game. But that's the three for now. So far in the season, Todd, listen to these numbers. 884 yards on the ground, 12 touchdowns at running back, while also <laughs> adding 49 tackles, 7.5 tackles for loss, and three pra- pass breakups through six games. Those are numbers that you would like to see from anybody through an entire season. Colley's ranked by rivals as the nation's 22nd best linebacker and the number 18 player from the state of Tennessee. I really think that if he was, if Colley was able to attend camps and scouts were able to watch him more in depth, you know, if COVID never existed, that this is a four or five star talent that Notre Dame has a, currently a three star talent. But uh, couldn't be more excited to see what he can do in the Notre Dame blue and gold. Yeah, and his offer sheet was pretty powerful for being called a three-star prospect for sure. And I did see, correct me if I'm wrong, Mason, I believe he's also invited to the Under Armour All-American game. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, like you said, um, between his offer sheet and being invited to all of these uh, All-American games, there's no denying that he's one of the better (laughs) players in the country, easily a top 100 player for me. What else is going on in the recruiting world, Mason? A lot of offers being handed out. Um, really looks like the staff focusing on the 2022 class as the 2021 class starts to wind down. A lot of focus on the offensive line. I highlighted some offensive line targets from the state of Wisconsin in my recruiting breakdowns on uh, blueandgold.com if you want to check those out. Uh, yeah, a lot of focus on the offensive line in this class. Uh, the 2021 class was good, but they're looking to make the 2022 class great. Anything else we need to know about Mason? Mike Singer and I always have the latest on blueandgold.com as well as on our Twitter handles at rivals underscore Singer and myself at Mason Plummer underscore. We're always on the beat of their name recruiting. All right, let's dive into this Florida State team here a little bit. They are one and two, off to a little bit of a tough start, got thumped by rival Miami. Had to come from behind last week against Jacksonville State, and they did that on the strong arm and strong legs of a new quarterback who will start against Notre Dame. It's redshirt sophomore Jordan Travis. The interesting thing about Travis is he will be the third different starting quarterback in three games for Florida State as new first-year head coach Mike Norvell continues to search for answers. Travis did a nice job in that, again, in that 41-24 comeback win over Jacksonville State. He went 12-17, and obviously this is in substitute duty. 12-17 passing for 210 yards with one TD. He also rushed for 48 yards on 11 carries with another TD. So Notre Dame will certainly get a dual-threat quarterback here that there's not a whole heck of a lot of film out on. Uh, He's only played sparingly at quarterback for Florida State. Actually made a start last year as a wide receiver, so it it speaks to his athleticism. Notre Dame trails the all-time series with Florida State. Three wins to six losses, though the number three Irish won the last game. That was 42-13 whooping that the Irish put on at home in 2018 on its way to the college football playoffs. This really what used to be a proud rivalry, Mason, but it looks like two teams gone in different directions right now. Yeah, most definitely. I was talking to some buddies this past week. Uh, they were really excited about Florida State coming to town. They're like, oh, man, it's going to be a great game. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if you've paid attention to what's been going on at Florida State you know, since, <laughs> since the Jameis Winston days, but it hasn't been good. Um, the fact that you had to say uh, that they had a comeback win against Jacksonville right. State, it's not, it's not good. Um, 
I'm excited to see what Travis can do. I like him a lot as an athlete, um, not so much as a quarterback. We'll see what happens in that game. Uh, this Notre Dame defense has been outstanding so far. I think they're going to cause them a lot of problems. Yeah, Florida State needs to get this uh, both their offensive line situation under control and their quarterback. This is the seventh different starting quarterback that Florida State has run out there since the start of the 2015 season. Uh, so Norvell has his hands full as he tries to turn this program back around. Norvell comes from Memphis, where he did a nice job there. Really piled up the points. As a matter of fact, his Tigers were eighth in the, in the nation last season, scoring 40.4 points a game. So you think that Norvell will get this Florida State program back up and running, but it might be a longer reconstruction project than originally thought, eh, Mason? I think so, too. And the fact that he could do that with Memphis, who isn't you know, regularly known as one of the better teams in the nation, but he, with his schemes and getting guys the, with speed, you know, the ball in their hands, uh, Florida State's never really had a problem recruiting whether or not they're a good team or not at the moment. Um, they recruit the state of Florida very well, which turns out you know the best talent in the nation. So you'd like to see Norvell kind of turn it around. I, I like Florida State. I, it's College football is better when they're good. People say that about Notre Dame as well, but I really do believe that, that college football is better when Florida State's a good team. They're not at the moment. I expect Notre Dame to win this one handily. Yeah, I do too. We'll get into predictions in, in a second here. Uh, one player to watch for Florida State, a couple players to watch, actually. They have a six foot five, 305-pound senior defensive tackle, Marvin Wilson, who's really tough on offensive lines, a lot of pressure on the quarterback, very talented too. He actually already has two blocked kicks this year. I think the best player on, on its defense is defensive back Asante Samuel. He already has three picks in three games this, this uh, season, and he was terrific last year as well. So those are a couple guys to watch on the Florida State defense. Mason, one thing I wanted to slide in here that I meant to put at the top of the show, Notre Dame did receive some good news this week when senior place kicker who was out of eligibility, Jonathan Dorr, said he's going to use that extra year of eligibility that the NCAA gave him for next season, and he will return. He's been very reliable and a heck of a player for Notre Dame. Uh, during his career, he's 20 of 24, kicking field goals, 2 for 2 on 50-plus yarders, and 66 of 66 on extra points. So a very reliable player and some good news for there for Notre Dame. Mason, I'll let you kick off the Florida State predictions. All right, predictions. I think I looked at the betting line. It was like 20 points. I'm going to say Notre Dame wins this one 35-10. to 35-10 Notre Dame. I think they get a late field goal or a touchdown. I think Notre Dame dominates this one through three quarters, gets some backup guys in in the fourth, and it might be even uglier than that, Todd, to be honest. Yeah, I guess my only concern, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, is perhaps a rusty Notre Dame team with 20 days off. I don't expect a real quick start for the Irish. I actually think it might look somewhat like the Duke game, but I think as they get their footing and get rolling, they'll pull away. And I think the defense will be just fine for the Irish. Slow start offensively. But ultimately, I like 28-10 to 10 with the Irish winning their 21st straight at home and their 12th straight against an ACC opponent in the regular season. Mason, that's about all I got, my friend. Anything left for you? I just wanted to add on one thing that you said about Jonathan Doerr. I remember just two years ago, everybody kind of, you know, a preseason storyline was kind of freaking out about the about the kicking positions with Justin Yoon and the punter Tyler Newsom leaving. And then Jonathan Doerr doesn't miss very often. He's going to go down as one of the better kickers their name's ever seen, so... Um, it was really exciting that he could be back for another year and uh, just just more consistency on the special teams. That's what you need. You can find him at Mason Plummer underscore. You can find me at Todd Burledge. Folks, that's all we have. We'll talk to you next week.
Thanks for listening to this exclusive presentation of 1380 The Fan, the Blue Gold Report. And be sure to download the latest edition of the show wherever you download podcasts or go to 1380thefan.com. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.